Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Today we're talking with Dave Devine. Dave is a father and a husband, father of two kids and a husband, and uh, living in Portland, Oregon. And uh, Dave, glad to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So Dave, we had a minute to just uh, chat a little bit before we got started here with this episode. And uh, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your family and your journey to uh, to where your family and where you guys are today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned we live in Portland, Oregon. Neither my wife nor I are originally from Portland. Eileen, my wife, grew up in uh, Arizona, and I grew up in in Phil- just outside Philadelphia, a small town outside Philadelphia. And uh, both of us kind of pursued different careers for a while. We, we met um, when I was in my 30s, and we ended up out here in Portland, Oregon. We have two children, as you mentioned. We have a son who's 13, and he's... Uh, I, I think what would be described as neurotypical. And then we have a daughter who is um, 12 and uh, she has a diagnosis of FASD, which is, is how, you know, sort of what brought us together for this conversation, John. And maybe you could just tell a little bit about how you learned about, about Maya's FASD when, when you got that diagnosis and the path leading there and the path afterwards. So we uh, adopted Maya as a newborn. Uh, we, we met her the day she was born and, um, and did not know at the time that there may have been prenatal exposure to alcohol. Um, we didn't, didn't know that definitively really at any point, but began collecting kind of just pieces of evidence as she grew older and started to kind of move, you know, from infancy into toddlerhood. There were just signs along the way that, um, that pointed towards the possibility of, of fetal alcohol exposure. Um, and it was everything from missed, uh, missed milestones or, or missed things that where she kind of was delayed in, in reaching certain expectations around when she'd begin to, to crawl or to walk or, or um, begin to form words. And, and also physical things. Um, our pediatrician was really attuned to things, noticed some facial features that might have suggested uh, fetal alcohol and um, head size also. Her brain development and, her, and the size of her head was smaller than might have been expected for a a newborn and just kind of continued that way as she got a little bit older. So combination of physical characteristics and just our own observations around her development eventually led us to uh, to getting a diagnosis of FASD when she was still quite young. It was just either right before or after she turned one. And so we, we were able to pretty early on have a sense of of the challenges that she might face and the ways that we might be able to, to help her with those. So you mentioned your pediatrician. Did your pediatrician was she intimately familiar with with uh, with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, or was it more she had sort of like edge knowledge and realized this could be something, and then referred you to someone else? Definitely the second. Yeah, I mean, I think she certainly had enough knowledge to to begin to ask some of the questions, and then referred us to a, a specialist within that that same um, you know kind of with within the same practice or whatever mm-hmm. who. Um, was able to then eventually give us a diagnosis, but yeah, sure. We met with, we met with kind of the host of, of experts speech and, and, um, and movement and, and, um, occupational therapists and, and all of those things, um, that kind of helped collectively come up with a, a definitive diagnosis. To get that that early on and to have, it sounds like 
it sounds like that was a sort of a team, like a, a medical team effort. Is that what that was? Was it like they were working sort of very coordinated to, to help lead you to understand what was going on, that diagnosis, what to do? It, it felt that way. Yeah. I, I think that, that's a pretty good way to describe it. And for us, it felt like driving to a lot of different appointments and meeting different people. But, <laughs> but there was kind of, there was definitely one doctor who kind of anchored it all. And then we'd kind of go out and, and go to this office in that department. And, um, but, um, but eventually it all cir circled back to that, that one doctor that gave us a diagnosis and also resources after that, that we might consider. And so, you know, then we continued with speech therapy, occupational therapy, et cetera, through that same organization. Yeah. I see. You know, as you're bringing that up, thinking about all of the needs that need to be met with a, with a young child with an FASD, your wife, Eileen, is a, you said, a social worker by training. How much of her knowledge and experience did help, helped you along that path when you got the diagnosis and understanding the different therapies? Was that being brought to you or were you guys bringing it to the doctor to say, hey, what about this and what about that and these different therapies and what was that sort of interaction like? Yeah, you know, most of her work prior to shifting gears and beginning to work with parents of children with brain differences, and you know, it was it was um, our experience parenting Maya that led her in that direction. But prior to that, most of her work had been with adults, um, and so she didn't have a great base of experiential knowledge around um, working with children or childhood development. I'm certain that she got some of those courses, you know, in, in her social work training, but it wasn't like at the front of her of her experience. Um, and then, uh, you know, I had experience as a teacher. I was, I was trained, including special education classes and, and kind of how to work with kids who have special needs. And so I think kind of the combination of her experience as a social worker, my background as an educator, I don't think either one of us had expertise in the specific area of, of, fetal alcohol, of a diagnosis of fetal alcohol syndrome. But I feel like it gave us the confidence to ask the right questions and to know that there are there are experts in the fields that have more information than we do that we could kind of fall back on. So I guess if anything else, like, or if nothing else, I think it just gave us the confidence to keep pursuing the questions and yeah. to not take one answer completely at face value, but to, to ask additional questions until we felt like, okay, this is, we, we've got the, either the diagnosis or we've got the resources that we need. I think that's a great point um, because I'm thinking back to our journey and where we had, you know, we, we, had our pediatrician. We had at one point, Natalie and I were seeing uh, like a child psychologist who was giving us advice and guidance. Now, we didn't know anything about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder at that point, but we knew something. We were kind of explaining the symptoms and some of the things we were seeing, and she was giving us guidance. And it, it, we got a lot of good advice from her and some good sort of tactics on how to address sleep and some other things that were going on at the time. But the one thing that I think we walked away from pretty early on that we learned was that you can't, as a parent, you really have to get in there and fight for your kids and fight for your family in making sure that their needs are met and not taking an answer as the only answer. Because for one, as we know now that, you know, the knowledge of FASD in the medical community is emerging. And uh, right. there's a lot of, I, our experience showed that there were, we, we had a lot of doctors or therapists or others that had edge knowledge of it. And they could maybe, they knew the term and they knew a little bit about it, but that was about it. And so we figured out pretty quickly that we, I don't want to say trustworthy but we were always, we're skeptical. Those feel like negative kind of words, but we just didn't 
always rely on that. We relied on our knowledge and doing our homework and reading and understanding and trying to ask more questions. And so that brings me to another question is like, maybe just tell me a little bit about like how you were raised and your background and how that's influenced your parenting and your expectations around how your kids, how your family may have been different, maybe different than what you had thought of your family would be sort of growing up and thinking about that and how you've had to, how you've had to adjust. Yeah. So like I said, I I grew up on the East coast, just outside Philadelphia. Both my parents were teachers, which maybe helped predict how I would end up as a teacher for a while too, in a classroom. And I do think that shaped me for sure in terms of thinking about like how and where to meet young people where they're at and that, that every child is different and that you might have two kids in the same family and they could be vastly different in terms of, you know, the things they care about, the things they're interested in, their abilities in one area or another. Um, I think having two parents as, who were educators helped a lot with that. You know, but at the same time, the broader family that I grew up in, the extended family um, on both sides, but for sure on, on my dad's side of the family, big Irish Catholic family and my dad's father had come over from Ireland um, and my dad had come from Ireland as, as an infant. And, and it was very much kind of um, a hardworking, you show up every day. And that's how my dad was too. My dad, you know, and my mom too, I think in her, t- in her career as a teacher, but I grew up uh, doing the sports of track and field and cross country. And my dad was a track and cross country coach for 40 years. So he ended up being my coach, coached the high school that I went to. So I was around him a, a lot growing up. And definitely that was his approach, you know, that, uh, that you show up, you do the hard work, you take care of all the small things and, uh, and you get results, you know, and, and that worked for me growing up, you know, it worked for me in terms of uh, success in sports, success in academics, getting to college and all of that. And I think, you know, and, and I know your experience probably in speaking with other folks, like the families of origins really inform how you then try to raise your own kids or, or the, the approach you take to parenting. And so I think for me, you know, our son first, a neurotypical son. Um, and I think that I brought a lot of that kind of my dad and mom's approach to parenting to, you know, raising him initially. Um, one of the gifts, I think, of, of having our daughter who has a brain difference and is not neurotypical has been that it's required me, and I would imagine Eileen too, my wife, to dismantle the ways that I thought you're supposed to raise children and to really think about it from another approach um, and to really have to think about the same, you know, values, the same sort of core things that worked for one family or one child aren't going to necessarily work for another child um, and have to let go of some of those things. My, my parents actually retired out here from Philadelphia uh, a few years ago. And one of the interesting things is just being watching them Kind of, you know, as late 60s and early 70 year olds, having to kind of also interrogate their own um, approaches to parenting as they've been a grandparent to our children now, um, and uh, and really they're they're both amazing and wonderful with both of our children. But you know, I, I think simple things like, wow, you know, shouldn't there be a punishment for that, or you know, isn't there a consequence for that? And having to kind of say, well, there there is and there will be, but it's not going to happen right now, or we're going to have to circle back for that conversation, or that's not how we, we do it with our daughter. Um, you know, I think that has played out and, and, and been really positive too, like a good thing, I think, to, to watch that happen. That's really great. That, that's something I was going to ask you is if uh, you had any family or other support. It's always nice when your kids get to be around your parents or your wife's parents. Right. That they get to share some of those connections. 
it just it sounds like it just sounds so familiar in that the things you know come on you can do it just hang in there a little longer and sometimes seeing that what worked for you what you understood what resonated with you does not resonate with your kids that can be that can be a hard pill to swallow and just take time i think there's you know i think back to you know people i've known throughout my life that always just seemed a little edgier or harder in their sort of personality or approach to things and how their families and parents reacted with a lot of, it just felt like a lot of rejection around the things they did or said it, it wasn't met. And I think that is a, that's perhaps an old school way because when you were saying you're talking about your dad and that upbringing, there was no meeting the kids in the middle in my house. Like my parents right. didn't meet us. We met them. We went where they wanted us to go. If we were going to, if my dad wanted us to do something, we did that. And if we, there was no discussion, there was no negotiation. You did that. And it was funny because like my dad grew up in a household where he was like, his dad would physically abuse him, would beat him up mm -hmm. and smack him mm -hmm. around and everything. And this was in the forties and the fifties, right? He never did that. He never laid a hand on any of us, but he could, mm -hmm. it was just that, you know, just the, the look he would give you to know, right. like you better shape up or ship out. And those ta and it's hard sometimes because I think some folks, some of my family members don't they, that's their comparison point. Right. They don't understand. Right. And that does not work. I learned with Nick probably when he was in the, you know, 11, 12 year old range, and he was starting to go through more extreme behaviors. And some of the things that his development was bringing out more extreme reactions and behaviors that raising my voice did not tamp him down. Like it only, it was like throwing fuel on the fire. Like right. if, if I, and I learned pretty quickly that if I, if I handled those situations, the way my dad handled it with us, that it was going to result in an explosion. We, you know, learned quickly, I, especially me just to like dial it back. And, you know, instead of yelling whisper, cause we, we kind of found out early, we, we did right. that. Somebody had suggested that we tried it and it really kind of freaked mm -hmm. him out the first time we did it. He was like, right. Looked at us. And so it's just like little things like that, that, you know, even though he's 18, I still continue to struggle with or have to remind myself of on how to approach a situation. And you have to also, I guess, pick your battles really carefully, you know, right, because right. you'll end up with them all day long. If you don't, you, you have to be selective. And are there any sort of words of hope or takeaways? You know, um, I mean, I think, I think a lot about hope and I definitely have been thinking a lot about hope in the last year too. Um, I mean, in some ways it's kind of what has sustained me as, as we've kind of watched, you know, the events of the last year unfold and still find ourselves very much in, in this pandemic, still very much, at least for us here in Portland, kids at home, no, no in-person school, you know? So I, I think there's like the sort of the small hope of the present, but then the, the big hope of, of um, kind of the wider picture. You know, I, I appreciate John your efforts to bring more more fathers into the conversation. When when I as Eileen's practice around working with parents um, of kids with brain differences has really grown and expanded, I've noticed that you know she's got this like really big Facebook group. So it's almost entirely or it's very heavily weighted towards women and mothers, um, and fathers and and dads are sort of fewer and farther between. Same thing for the blog posts that she. Um, has made a lot of the comments around that are very much from women um, and, and you often mothers, grandmothers, caregivers who are women. 
and so I, I'm appreciative of of that bigger, you know, kind of that question of how do we get more dads involved? Because I think they are struggling with so many of the same things, but maybe they're not reading the blogs or they're they're not tending to to jump on Facebook groups and and make lots of comments and posts. Um, so for me, like it, it, around this particular area of, of parenting kids who have special needs and parenting kids with brain differences, you know, like the hope, I guess, that we're hoping with the work Eileen and I are doing to push into 2021 is definitely hearing more father's voices and, you know, the voices of dads and, um, and, and letting them speak to the, the joys and challenges of this too, because there's so many authentic voices out there of dads, but they're maybe not being heard quite as clearly. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 6, verse 34. So welcome to this episode of the DadCast. I just heard John say, we're doing this, we're incredibly nuts and we're doing this, but that's how we roll because that's how the vacuums roll. And uh, it's hilarious because we're like trying to squeeze this episode in. Between Nick being on Xbox with a friend and Gianna <laughs> trying to keep her quiet for a little bit. So, hi, honey. Welcome back. Hi there. <laughs> so, you and Dave had a great discussion about parenting legacy and how we have to shift how we parent and how it's really difficult to do that when you come from an upbringing um, of having a parent uh, legacy that's so strong. And I think of you and your mom and dad. So let's just talk a little bit about it took a, sh a good shift for you to go to neurobehavioral parenting from how you were raised with your mom and dad. Yeah, it's still a work in progress. The <laughs> Because whenever something not whenever something happens, but I always have that in my mind to hear my dad's voice or my brother's voice or, you know, or my mom. I, I hear those voices on when we make decisions about how you, it could be an accommodation. It could be a response to a conversation. It could be anything. And so I have maybe 75% I'm able to, you know, I know that the decisions that we're making, why we're making them and that this is the right way and that doing it the way that we are raised doesn't work in this environment. But those void, you know, I always have that sort of uh, in my head in terms of, you know, how would, you know, is this the right way to do it? Is this, is there, how would my family respond to it? Uh, how is this different than I was raised, et cetera? So thinking about how your mom and dad were with you and, and your brother and your sister, I know that when we, if, if something's not a good fit for either of our kids, but especially for Nick having an FASD, we've learned that, you know, if it's not a good fit, it's usually not going to be a good fit. And something that you and Dave touched upon was, well, you know, if, if something's not a good fit, you can make that make that change because you're not, you know, you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And that's something I know you and I have had many discussions about is, okay, this is not a good fit, clearly, let's just move on. And I know in the past, like thinking about like 
10, 15 years ago, you know, I know you'd struggle with, oh, he should stay in for the rest of the semester or the rest of the year or whatever. So let's talk about making that shift when it comes to commitments for our kids. You and Dave really touched upon how it's hard for our generation and the generations before ours to say, oh, this isn't working out for you. Okay, let's try something else. I know, I know this is something that you especially wrestled with for a long time, especially with how your mom and your dad were with you and your brother and your sister. So that's a big shift in parenting that we have to do is instead of saying, okay, you need to try this, you need to stick it out. We know that with kids with FASD and then have you know brain-based disorders, you can't do that because it's literally like, it's just not a good fit. So let's talk about that and, and how, how that was a struggle for you and how you were able to make that shift. Growing up, when you, you know, you said you wanted to do something or you had the opportunity to do something, you were, there was a commitment. And that could mean that it was for whatever period of time that, and you would kind of hang in there. And it's one of those skills, I think, it, what it translates into is that you, lear- you have to learn that as a kid that things aren't always easy. Things don't always happen the way you want to right away. You don't instantly get good at something the first time you do it. So, and that, you know, there's difficult people and difficult situations and those things just never go away. And so you learn how to cope with those things and you learn how to navigate through them or around them or overcome adversity. And that is something that we've experienced with Nick. Those we run into a lot of walls and it is just the way his brain works and processes those challenges. And I think that is a, it took a long time for me to get through that. And I still face, I still struggle with that sometimes because, and it's not because I want him just simply to live up to the commitment. I really want him to walk away with the lesson that will hopefully make him better the next for the next, next experience. But that's just not always possible. It just doesn't always work that way. And so at the, you know, when he was a lot younger and we would try things and quit and try things and quit and try things and quit, it felt like quitting. I think it's not, you know, like anything else, it's about how you view it. It's your attitude towards it. It's not really quitting it. It's just, you've got to sample some things and to see what you like and where the right fit, where, you know, where there's the right situation, the right people. And it's kind of like uh, maybe, thinking about like Alexander Graham Bell, who, you know, you are a great inventor where you try something, they'll fail a thousand times to get one success. And maybe that's a better attitude about this is that it's not really a failure. You just learned something that you learn more about a situation that doesn't work. You learn more about a, a social situation or the people or you learn more so that the next time you go into, you want to try something, you bring those lessons forward as parents. And we try to set our kids up for success. And, and I don't mean that in a way of crafting, you know, forcing it. So they always like, they always win and always get a trophy. That's, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that you take the situation 
you take your learnings and you try to set it up so that you know where your friction points will be or the blockers will be for your kids to try to clear the path because you know you're dealing with self-esteem issues and social issues and all sorts of other things and confidence and what at least in our experience i think what's helped is just seeing where some success small taste of success and really have a humongous impact and so if we don't make it all the way to the end that's okay it's not the end of the world and that's just everybody's path is different and that's how the path with you know nick has gone and with i, I would guess with other parents in a similar situation as well and i i still to this day and it's been you know how many years struggle with that at times of like he could just if he could hang in there a little bit longer just it would be so much to learn from that but it just that's just not the way it goes sometimes and as we've learned more about you know brain-based parenting neurobehavioral parenting i think we've done a better job of being able to to say that and say okay we know this isn't a good fit and I like what you said too. Um, we've kind of we've we've done a good job of kind of keeping good notes of like, okay, these tend to be things that you know are good fits for him. These tend to be things that usually are you know not going to be a good fit for him. So I, I think that we kind of have to give ourselves grace because honestly, with the nature of FASD and the nature of you know the the brain disability, some days may actually be okay, you know, but overall we need to kind of be that investigator. We need to be that person that, that can say, okay, we think this will be a good fit and this won't be. So I just remember when he was younger, like that, that was a really huge thing for you is like him finishing out a season or him finishing out this or that. And, and I know, like, I realized that when we parent, we're bringing in our own parenting, you know, experiences. And I know that that was a really strong thing with, with you and your mom and your dad and your family. So as I got older too, I acknowledged that, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and realized where you were coming from in that. So one thing that you and Dave talked about was how Dave mentioned how he enjoyed kind of seeing how his parents are now with with their kids, you know, especially with their daughter who has an FASD and they still struggle. He said they still struggle with, you know, are you going to discipline her? Are you going to do this? And he said, you know, it's, it's very much like, you know, we're going to handle it this way. You know, he said that he, he's really appreciative that he can see that they're understanding the neurobehavioral approach in parenting and their understanding, you know, accommodations and things like that. And I'm just thinking of like how far, you know, our families, you know, I'm thinking about how far they've come. What do you think about from your perspective? Because I know really, we just really tend to think of like, you know, your family when it comes to like having these really, really strong values. I think not just my mom, but in many of our, my, you know, many on my side of the family is that they don't always understand it and they're trying to understand it, but they face exactly the same thing that I do is like the thing you're familiar with, the, the values that you were raised with your expectations. They're trying to overcome all of that just in a much less intense way than, than I have had to, uh, to deal with that. And so I'll have conversations with my mom sometime and she will ask, 
you know, tell her about a situation and why did you do that? And why did you do this? And what, what happens if you do this? She's just trying to understand it. That's how she processes information. And, um, and it's not, and at the end of the day, she's just like, you guys are doing a great job. You're really great parent, you know? And so she may not always understand it, but, and I get that from a lot of my family, they may not understand it, but they just, they understand enough to know that, that we know our kids and we're doing the best that we can. And, you know, and as parents, we don't always make the right decisions or the best decisions, but you, you do, you're trying to do the best job you possibly can and you have good days and bad days. So what words do you have for dads who are struggling with this changing, this shift in thinking, going from, oh, I, I can't let go of this. This is how I was raised and you have to follow through and you have to stick it out to, okay, we need to make accommodations. We need to think brain and we need to think what's the best fit. What words of advice do you have for those dads out there who are listening? It's okay to let go and do things differently. It's not easy and it's some, it will take a lot of thought before it becomes sort of muscle memory. At the end of the day, just like with the rest of accommodations, if you don't adjust, your kids are not able to adjust. If you don't adjust, then the thing I think of is what would our relationship be with Nick? It could be terrible. Like as an adult, like he could be gone and just not ever want to talk to us because we, uh, you know, we could be viewed as mean, you know, or difficult. And I, that's sort of present in my head, but the thing I would just, I think about in this and how it's affected me and perhaps how it's affected, you know, how maybe other dads are what they're going through is just don't be afraid to let go of the past. Don't be afraid to forge a new way forward. That's better for, that's going to fit your child's needs and your family's needs. The things of the past, although it's what we know and we're familiar with, they're hard to let go of and it's hard to change. But the benefit could be, there's could be very tremendous benefits if, if you, to do that, to make those changes and do your best to explain to, if you're getting pressure from family members, we've given a lot of books to a lot of family members to read, to better understand it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think maybe what, you know, at the end of it, they may not understand it all but they understand that what you're doing is in the best interest the best for your child. Because I think the pressure that you get from your family can really get inside your head, you know, as a dad, I don't know, maybe from moms as well. I think that's, that's the same story, but when you have people that you love and you trust and you have their back and you know how that they have your back and you feel like you're getting, they don't approve or they disagree with your parenting style or the things that you're saying you're doing, try to educate, try to help them understand. But at the end of the day, if they don't, I don't know, I try not to hold it against anybody. It can be hard sometimes um, because you feel like you're being judged, but it's just, it's not an, it's not an easy, it's not an easy topic. I would say forge ahead, with, a th- with what you think is best for your family and your child and the influences around you 
will either agree or disagree and do your best to roll with it. That's probably not great advice, but we, I feel very incredibly blessed that my family doesn't always understand it. They've pushed back on things or different things over the years. But at the end of the day, I know that they're supportive and there's love there and, and they love our kids and they would do anything for us or them regardless. And so, you know, we all have to make our own decisions in life. And sometimes that's just depending upon your family and those personalities and relationships. That's not always easy. And you and I have definitely, if you don't have this partnership in your marriage, then it can definitely make a huge rift. And so I, I really am thankful that what used to cause us so much strife, you know, we, we've been able to overcome, we've been able to keep going through, and we've also just been able to have grace, you know, with each other and understanding, you know, you understand the background I came from, I understand the background that you came from, and especially I think as, as the longer we've been married, that grace and that understanding has been there. And, and I think it's important that anyone in this parenting journey understands that there's no like end destination of success. There really isn't. This journey always continues. There is no, hey, you're there, you're terrific, fantastic, because you know, it can it can all change. That's the nature of FASD. That's the nature of brain-based diagnoses. However, and this is a big however, the, the journey itself can be beautiful and can have many, many successful moments in it. And I'm going to give an example of what we witnessed today. You know, we've been churching at home because our kids are still considered vulnerable and, and it's just still not safe for us where we live to go out, you know, into, into big crowded situations. So we've been home churching, which I think personally has been a huge blessing. You know, we've been you know, watching our pastor at home. And then you've been really churching Nick and Gigi. But today, Nick taught Gigi today's Bible lesson and today, you know, today's Palm Sunday. So he taught her his lesson. And I remember just just going over to you and like kind of nudging you and just saying, look at that. And that to me was a beautiful just a blessing, a, a gift from God. And it was an especially a graceful moment. I felt like that was, yeah, that, that, that seeing that moment right there where he was genuinely, he was teaching her and he was genuinely just sharing God's word with her. And they were engaged like brother and sister in such a precious moment. I feel like those are the moments that we as parents have to like you say, you, you, this should be a bumper sticker, but you, you have to savor those moments, you know, and you have to see those moments as blessings. So I'm just so thankful because you've taught me that. And I think for me, you know, just being with them 24 seven, it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm not able to step back that much and see that, but you've taught me that. So I'm really, really thankful that you've taught me that. So let's end on a hope takeaway. We're talking about parenting legacies and, and kind of shifting the parenting legacy. Um, what words of hope do you have out there for, for both 
you know, moms and dads or um, just anyone on this journey who's having struggles in letting go of those past parenting legacies? The first thing is that the, you know, the happy ending, the happy ending right off into the sunset, kind of a movie ending. I don't think that exists anywhere. It, it doesn't exist in a neurotypical family. It doesn't exist in our situation. I don't, I don't really think that exists for anybody. And so removing the idea that because you haven't arrived at a happy place, that's the happy forever place is a failure is it's, you're not being fair to yourself and to your family. You're, it's, it's just, I think until the day that you go to the Lord, it's a journey and there's going to be ups and downs. And if you can't find joy along the journey, you're going to, you're going to end your life with a lot of disappointment. So find joy in little things every day and understand that, you know, that there may never be a happy, you know, you may never, it's, you're not going to be, you know, it's not going to be a movie ending where everybody's happy and, you know, everybody just rides off into the sunset. That's just not, I don't really think that's a fair belief in life in general. And it's definitely not in these situations. So that's number one. The other thing, number two is in regards to, uh, you know, commitments your kids make and not being able to weather the storm that just prepare, I would just say, set your expectation that most of those situations are, will probably not work out. They, you know, they won't go as well as you think, or as well as you hope, or last as long as you hope, or get the benefit that you hope, you know, but so I would just say, you know, adjust your expectations and look for ways, look for how to set the situation up for success as best you can. Success might not mean the big fireworks ending. Success could mean is that whereas your kid would want to quit after an hour, maybe that becomes two hours or maybe that becomes three hours or a day. That's success. And, um, and the other thing I think is just learn, you know, learn from learn along the journey on how to do things better every step of the way. It's a chance every, every day and every of those, every one of those experiences is an opportunity for you to learn. And, and so every time every situation you go through, you take those learnings and you go forward. And just before you make those commitments or your child makes those commitments is to uh, really think about, we have to really put a lot of thought into how it's going to go. Who do I need to talk to? Is there, did I see something or someone that could be a problem? How do we set that up so that we can avoid a potentially sort of flammable situation? The, you know, in my head, it's kind of like, hey, you want to sign up for baseball? Sure, that'd be a great idea. Let's sign up and, and I'll come watch your games. That's not the case. It's more thinking about, all right, well, how big is the team? How, when do they practice? And who's the coach? And how is he? And, you have to kind of think through those things in with a lot more detail, I think. And you learn from each experience on what questions to ask and what things work and what things don't. So try to look, continue, you know, have an attitude of learning that you're going to just continue to learn. And it's some things will work out and some things won't. And don't give up trying because 
there's still a lot to be gained for your kids and for you uh, along that path as well. It's not as easy as others have it, but everybody has struggles in life. It's a journey. And just like I said, try to find happiness along the way. And I say this all the time, but I am so blessed to be your wife. And I'm so blessed that we're on this crazy, beautiful, wild, unexpected journey together because you have taught me so much. And for that, I am thankful. So everyone from John and I, we hope you are having a beautiful Passover. We hope you have a beautiful and blessed Happy Resurrection Day and a happy Easter. And we just thank you so much. Have a wonderful week and take care. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week, and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.